Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast formerly known as Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. For those of you who've been around on the journey, we're almost to 600 episodes. And you know, up until July of this year, when the show was called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, I always started the show by welcoming you and saying thank you for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. Well, I bring that up today because as I look at our guests today, he was one of the cool kids, I bet. He just looks cool. <laughs> Even at a little bit more mature level of age, he still looks like he was at the cool kids table. And in fact, he plays in a rock band. That's right. We have a real live rock star here on Making Waves at Sea Level today. So my guest is Brant Minzoir, and he's a professional speaker and rock star, and he's somebody who I had the pleasure to see speak last year at the American Society of Association Executives. Uh, I went to his session not knowing what to expect. We had a couple of mutual friends, so I thought, I always like to check out other speakers, and I was blown away by his story, by his commitment to the people he serves, to his commitment to his family, and I thought at that time, I have to interview this guy on my podcast, and Took a year to get around to it, but here we are today. So, Brant, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that so much. I've uh, been a big fan of yours for a very long time. I've been a long time listener to the podcast. So, finally being here to me feels like I made it. That's right. So well, I'm, you're, I'm you're at the cool kids table, but the reason, yes. you, the reason you fit in so well is you're a person who always has made waves. I bet you don't really sort of follow uh, what uh, society has always told you to do. And in fact, you started your career, you were in sales and business development, and you actually became the vice president of business development for a big uh, collection company. Talk yes. a little bit about your background. Let's go back to young Brandt. Yeah. So, you know, I came, to, I'm born and raised in New Hampshire, in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, and uh, came down to Florida to play baseball. That was my, uh, my, my career path. Uh, of course he did. He's one of the cool kids. <laughs> he was a baseball player in high school and That's college. It. That's it. I came down. The plan was to, uh, you know, I played for Florida Southern, who is one of the top schools in the country and, and um, planned on playing professionally when I was done, but I got hurt. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to talk to you with a bad wing. And what, so what, po what position did you play? I, I pitched. Oh, well, I there pitched. you go. Yeah. Well, you need a good wing if you're going to be a pitcher. I, I played Little League as a kid, but I was there was a term for me. It was a lame-o. I wasn't really that good. I was the I was the two to four inning guy in right field. <laughs> Picking daisies out there. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's uh, I. I I needed something else to do when I stopped playing ball because, you know, we practice for like six hours a day. And so, uh, I, I started to sing, believe it or not. I, I got involved in the sort of the concert chorus and then into a octet that they school would use to sort of promote things, uh, different things around the campus. And then I was in a quartet and, uh, Got out of that and just now, dove right in. Now, I got to jump in, though. You were yeah, in yeah. the quartet before 
college quartets were cool because you're about this the same age I am. So if you go back yes. to the, the late eighties, early nineties, yes. the quartet wasn't the cool kids table. No. And if you saw my haircut back then, you'd know it really wasn't cool because I had the McDonald's arches, baby. I had, you know, the, the whole, the full little M going on. You know, we, we sang the highlight of the quartet was we sang uh, the national anthem for 40,000 people at the time was Joe Robbie stadium in Miami. And we were wearing like, like, American flag type shirts I mean, with our shirts tucked in with the belt. I mean, it was just, it wasn't pretty man, but, but you know what we survived. Uh, I, I went into sort of the corporate world into sales in a variety of different ways. Uh, had a buddy that, that went to work for an organization uh, that was in the collections industry up in North Carolina. And he, after about six months, he's like, Hey man, we make ridiculous money here. You got to come check this out. And so, so I went up to Boone, North Carolina, and uh, we started to. Uh, uh, I started to work there for uh, the time. It was called Milliken and Michaels, and and they uh, were a, a fairly large firm that ended up getting acquired about a year or two later. And I was in the sales side, so I worked with the clients and managing the bad debt. I didn't deal on the debtor side of things, but I had a very successful run there. Uh, after about five years, I became the vice president of business development for for the organization after we were required. And, you know, it was great. I hate I hated my job, <laughs> <laughs> but the money was so good. It kept me there for longer than I wanted it to. Yep. But I say it all the time to people listening to the show. Be careful about putting your ladder, your career ladder against the wrong wall, because there's nothing worse, even if you're successful and you make crazy money than climbing yeah. that ladder and getting to the top and going, I don't want to be here. Yeah. <sighs> It was awful. You know, I mean, the, the funny thing was like I got to this point where I was making a really good living, but I was still in my in my late 20s. And so, you know, we we ended up getting acquired again and they sort of came in and and lopped everybody off uh, that was at the C-suite level of the organization I was with. So all of a sudden, you know, at like 29 years old, um, I can't get a job because I'm making more money at that time than most of the jobs I was interviewing for. And I was 29 years old. No one wanted to pay me that kind of money to go work somewhere. And so, you know, I had this at that time, I had this calling in my life to, to uh, do music. It's what I felt like I was supposed to do. And so grab my wife and kids and we moved back to New Hampshire where I'm from and uh, got basically uh, our, our feet under us again. And I was able to book some, I, I took six months and said, I'm going to work, I'm going to work this job. I sold CAD CAM software, which I, to this day, I still couldn't tell you what the hell I was selling, but I was doing, <laughs> it's the only thing I could find that would pay me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to sell this five axis, something or other that I couldn't explain to you if you asked me. And so we did that for six months. I, every day I'd come home and I would try to book gigs for me to go play when, when I set this date out in the future that said on this day, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to become this touring musician. And so after six months, I had 75 gigs booked over the next year in coffee shops, churches, like all nothing big. Right. And so I quit the job. We sold our house. We made a little bit of money and, and sort of put that in the nest egg so I could get out and try this. And, and that was almost 20 years ago. And so, so, you know, it, it sort of went way better than I expected. It was not anything in my career plan, but here we are 20 years later and, uh, you know, probably 12 albums in now with wow. two different bands, two different record deals. And, and, uh, it's been quite, quite a journey. 
Nice. And somewhere along the line, you took that story of that journey and mm-hmm. you started speaking to companies and associations and, and sharing sort of, sort of that thought. When did you become a speaker? So in 2012, um, my, my band, Big Kettle Drum, was out touring really heavily. We were doing probably 100, 120 shows a year, somewhere in that ballpark all over the world. And uh, my oldest son at the time was 14. And uh, he uh, was diagnosed with this rare blood cancer. And so it, it pulled me off the road. We lived in the hospital for about 260 plus days uh, with him battling. And so I had to, I had to figure out something to shift to. I couldn't, I couldn't go back. Uh, I knew he was going to need some, he survived, but I knew he was going to have some extensive care that had to happen afterwards. And so I couldn't be gone for weeks or months at a time on tour. So I started to shift. I had a friend at that time uh, named Alan Schaefer, who started this organization called Banding People Together. And it started off as a team building company where they'd go in and teach how to collaborate using songwriting as their tool. And so we'd go in and break companies into groups of, say, 15 or 20 people, and they'd become bands, and they'd have to come up with a band name, and they'd have to agree on a whole bunch of things. And we teach them sort of this co-writing, songwriting process to teach them how we can work together, even if we all have different ideas. And so, you know, that took off and uh, morphed into this collaborative consultancy where we built out uh, our own methodology, and and we sort of took the the science behind um you know, DISC and a few of these other behavioral assessments and stripped out everything that didn't have to do with collaboration. And we started to uh, create this this ability for people to operationalize the collaborative process. And that became a, a much larger success. And so I would go in and do like, we had a general session before we'd go to breakouts. And so that general session was like my first foray into doing keynotes, if you will, is basically what it, what it was. And after a couple of years of doing that, uh, I just had this idea on my own of, of I wanted to focus in the core values and purpose lane. And um, so I'm still a partner with banding. We still work together, but I, I branched out on my own a couple of years ago. And so uh, that has taken off at a level that doesn't allow me to, to uh, do as much as I'd like to do with banding at times now. Sure. Now you have an interesting background. I, I find a lot of people reach high levels of success in a lot of industries that I interview who come out of professional sports. Mm-hmm and who come out of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think you learn from both having played baseball? Granted, you didn't make it to professional, but you were playing sure. college. What, at that level, what do you yeah. learn from sports and what do you learn from entertainment to be a touring musician that you're able to take into the corporate world? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I think a couple, two specific things that are different for each, I would say, would be, you know, baseball taught me competitiveness. Uh, I hate losing. Mm-hmm. I hate losing. Um, to the point that like my kids won't even play shoots and ladders with me because not only will I win, I will shove it in their face that they lost. And that was from, thanks daddy. Thanks daddy. The three-year-old says, yes. Uh, I, I, so funny story, little sidetrack last, uh, last year during Thanksgiving, I went to visit my brother in New Hampshire. Who's got two young girls, uh, that are, you know, at the time, I, I think they were, uh, seven and 10 and they were playing basketball. And so they asked me to take them out into the yard and play some hoops. And so we, they were shooting hoops and every time they would shoot, I would swat the ball into the neighbor's yard. And I would say stuff to them like, did you hear that siren? Cause someone just called the SWAT team. You know, I'm just talking trash to seven year olds. right? <laughs> and I'm having Favorite a, uncle award. Yeah. I'm having a blast doing it. Right. So I get a call uh, last winter 
from, uh, from my brother who said that, uh, <laughs> my niece during a game got called for a technical because someone went up for a shot and she blocked it and screamed at the girl. Is it Thanksgiving? Cause you just got stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually don't know if that's a good story or a bad story, but it made oh, me laugh. That's a good story. That is a good story. And I was like, I don't even care. You can be mad at me. That is an all time epic story. So, um, you know, for me, that competitiveness, uh, I didn't want to just win. I wanted to humiliate. And that's, uh, that, that sort of was my whole amateur baseball career. Um, and, that, and I took that into the corporate world and, on the music side, it's all about showmanship. Mm -hmm. It's all about creating an experience. And if I can create an experience that sticks with someone way longer than after the show ends, then that person's going to spend an you know, umpteen amount of dollars with me over the year, no matter what the band releases, whether it's CDs or vinyl or t-shirts or you name it, they're going to buy it. Right. And so how do you create that connection to keep people entertained? So I want to I want to pivot to talk about this new book that you have. We could talk about all the stuff you've done and and, sure. and stuff, but but we have a half hour show. So yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your new book, Black yeah. Sheep. So can you mm. tell us about this book? It comes out the end of September, so uh, everybody should get ready. It's about a month or so away. Yeah. So here's here's the thing. I was 47 years old when I figured out why black sheep aren't valued like the rest of the flock. Um, I had no idea, and I and all of a sudden I find out. That the, re the reason that farmers don't value black sheep like the rest of the flock is a black sheep's wool cannot be dyed. So every black sheep is 100% authentically original. So I'm sitting here for most of my life feeling like a black sheep um, for different reasons, right? So, so interesting enough in the research for this book, it's not just the person who makes... Um, you know, the, the decision that separates them from the pack or, or maybe they dress a little differently or they like different music or they're a loner or they're an outcast. Um, that's sort of the tag that we put on black sheep. But I have to tell you, especially people at the C-suite level, um, there are some people who are so successful at what they do that they've outpaced everyone and they have separated themselves so far from everyone else that they're a black sheep. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not in with everyone else. And, and that had been a lot of my success up to that point. And so, and that's that true. There? That's true. When yeah. we look at the people who, uh, you know, we, we talk about who do you admire the Steve jobs, the Elon Musk, mm -hmm. the people like that. Oftentimes they've just outpaced everybody. And, and I love the expression, a black sheep's wool can't be dyed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, for me, that's the goal in my life is to be who I am created to be. I want to be a hundred percent authentic in everything I do. I want to be a unique original in everything I do. And so I started to do the research into what that was. And, and so for me, I believe we all have this flock of five black sheep values. And these are the values that no matter how much someone tries to influence you, they simply can't be changed. These are your non-negotiables. And when I discovered mine, uh, I realized that I had the power to speak them into existence. I can choose when and where they appear for maximum impact. So starting in January of 2019, I started to do it every day. I actually wrote them in my calendar. If I had an appointment, you'd not just see who I was meeting with in the time, you'd see two or three words. So my black sheep values are creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, authenticity. That's it. I have six. I'm a rock star. We do everything to excess. Get over it. So for me, I'm like, this is what I have to do. 
um, I started to speak them into existence. And in six months, six months, my whole life transformed. At that time, I was doing maybe 20, 25 talks a year. Um, those tripled. Uh, my fee tripled. In June of last year, article comes out um, naming me one of the top 10 motivational speakers in the country with Magic Johnson and Amy Cuddy. I, and I, I saw that. And as a stalker of yours, I knew you'd been at it for about an hour and a half. And I was like, yeah. how did he get on that list? Although you're good. You're really good. But it was like, I, kn I knew your progression had only been, you know, yes. the last couple of years. And it was like, how did he get on that list? It's true. And now, to be honest with you, it's the same question I asked myself. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell did I get on that list? Um, and then I sat back for a second, man. And I said, Tom, you know, look, here's the deal. I stopped winging it. I'm living my life on purpose. I'm living it with deliberate intention. You're damn straight. I'm on that list. Uh, that is that is why I'm on the list is because 99.9% .9 of everyone I meet is winging it. They are not acting with deliberate intention. They are not speaking these values into existence. They are hoping and praying that there's an opportunity or something of, of luck or accident where these things show up. And that's never going to take you to the level that you want to be. Right, right. So one of the things that, that we talked a little bit about before we started this interview was how you work with organizations to really activate their organizational values. And yeah. I, lo I love that. Could you tell people what that what that's about? Sure. So, I, you know, coming from the music business, um, I, I use the, the, the sort of the, the music world analogy when it comes to companies telling me what their what their personal or their or their organizational core values are. Right. And so. Uh, I look at most of them, I read them on the websites and uh, it, they're great lip service, but they're not real. They're not real. And, and so what I say to them is, look, you know, in the, in our world, in the music world, a hit song, a hit song is played about 10,000 times a week. Right. Um, which means that uh, it's played once every three to four hours in every market in the United States. So if you've ever been in a car for long enough, you've heard the same song twice before you get to your destination. Well, there's a reason for that, right? And so the two reasons, there's two things that make a song a hit. One is the songwriter's job. They have to connect the head and the heart. If they connect the head and the heart, their job's accomplished, right? Because that's what engages our limbic brain and what's actually what makes people memorize lyrics. So if you can remember the lyrics, it's because your head and your heart connected. That's just the Science. Is that why I can the, sing the whole song from American Pie? Bye bye, Miss. Yeah, there you go. There's got to be a story there somewhere. I'm telling you. I drove my Chevy <laughs> to the levee. Uh huh. And so, you know, the second thing is uh, the job of the radio stations, and it's a matter of frequency. How often is the song heard? Right. And so, when I go into organizations and they tell me what the organizational values are, my first question is do they connect the head and the heart? Number one. If they don't connect the head and the heart, no one's going to remember them. Number two, how often are they experienced? Wow. wow. The that's, that's, that's the aha piece of that right there. Because yeah. yeah. so many companies, they might connect the head and the heart and they write mm -hmm. a really good mission statement that, you know, they've printed on fancy parchment and framed yep. it on the wall. That's right. But if nobody's repeating it, it's just words on the wall. Well, listen, to me, and organizations' core values are their hit songs. It's the things that are supposed to resonate with everyone. And if they're not experienced once every three to four hours in the workplace, they're never going to be a hit. 
Why is it any different for you? It's no different for Kenny Chesney or Usher to write a hit than it is for you to, to make these values resonate with all of your supposed fans that are employees of your organization, right? And so the real question for me became, well, how do you engage with those? So they might sound great, but how are you giving people opportunities to engage with the organizational values? That's where the black sheep values come in, right? So, so for me, if you told me that the organizational, one of the organizational values was transparency, uh, I'd have to look at my black sheep values to know how I personally am going to engage with transparency. So for me, creativity, hope, impact, empathy, family, authenticity. So I have to look and go, okay, how can I get creative with transparency with my team? with my customers? How can I use transparency to send a message of hope to anyone that needs it? How can I have transparency have the type of impact that I need it to have um, to move the needle forward? And I just go down, and this is how I think through everything, because this is my unique contribution. It's what makes me irreplaceable in that organization. This is the mixture of the things that matter most to me and they're only mine. And so for me to go, gosh, I have some really interesting, cool ways to engage with transparency. If everyone engaged their black sheep values to do that, innovation goes up, efficiency goes up, all these things go up because you're getting everybody's best stuff. That's how you create an organization that that lasts. I, I mean, I think that's everybody needs to just stop, think about what he just said. And I want to repeat one thing for everybody to hear. And that is an organization's core values are their hit songs. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. the world has changed a little bit in the last five months. I don't know if you noticed this where you live, <laughs> but uh, where, where we live, there's been a global pandemic. Yes. And it's really impacted everybody some, somewhat uh, differently. Uh, I have a lot of friends who have jobs where they had to move home, but their paycheck keeps coming. And you know, not, they're like, what? It's just like you just don't eat out as much. And there's other people like maybe you and me who made their living speaking at conferences yeah. who, who watch the whole world sort of get turned around. So yep. where do apt, uh, adaptability and resiliency come into play around your black sheep values? So the level of commitment that we can muster for anything that we want to do uh, is centered around those black sheep values. And so if you are not using the things that matter most to you to keep you committed, you're never going to stay committed ever. And so when the shit hits the, the fan like it has in the last four months and we're like, oh, my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? While most people were panicking or allowing their emotions to sort of suck them into a tornado somewhere, uh, I was using my black sheep values to, you know, build a virtual platform that allowed me to continue what I was doing, right? Creativity, hope, impact, empathy, all of these things. What I found is that the virtual world allows me to connect on a such, such a deeper level than being on stage in front of a couple thousand people. You know, it's like people, think I'm I'm looking and speaking directly to them because I'm 18 inches away from this camera lens. And, and uh, what that does is it drives behavior change. 
I can, I, there's no way I could drive behavior change. Like I have been in the last four months from a stage in front of a thousand people. It's more about inspiration. It's more about, you know, watching Rocky and leaving the, leaving the theater with your hands held high. Like I can do anything, but the minute you get home and realize you locked yourself out of the house, you're like, this sucks. (laughs) My life is over. And so this small, intimate platform of virtual is perfect for getting people to change behavior. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to move the needle. So, Brad, I have a couple of more questions for you before I can let you go. Let's do it. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this mm-hmm. episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Brant Menzoir. Because if you want to have a podcast, and I know, I know that a lot of you do, what you have to do is jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, you know, I love sort of your, your, your story about your background and, and, and how you got to where you're doing and the work that you're doing right now for companies. Uh, but I'm really interested in these black sheep values. So mm-hmm. how does one go about identifying their five or I'm going to have six, too, because I want to be cool like you? That's right. So there's a couple of different ways. Um, we've developed a, an online assessment that you can go to findyourblacksheep.com and take the assessment. And what it's going to do is it's going to walk you through, oh, 125 or so commonly held core values, get you to sort of pick the ones that that really resonate with you. And then we take whatever that selection is and we sort of filter them into five different boxes based on likeness. So things like empathy and sympathy are in a box, achievement and success are in a box. And we sort of separate them in that way. And then you get to pick one word. What's the one word you can't live without from each box? And that becomes your initial flock of five, right? So the truth is that I know after doing this thousands of times in the last year and a half, that two or three of those black sheep values are undoubtedly real and two or three are bullshit. (laughs) They are aspirational sheep. They are who you want to be, but they're not who you are. And so um, when you go to start tracking I call it counting sheep. When you go to start counting sheep and looking for proof that they exist in your life, you will find zero evidence because they're not real. They live in the future and we don't live in the future. We live in the present. And so we have to look for the stuff that appears now. And so we work and we look for different words and we, we do something that I call leveling up, which is if you told me that community and relationships and faith and family are four of your black sheep values, I would say none of those are your black sheep values. Connection is your black sheep value. And you just gave me four ways of which you experience connection. And so that's sort of the work that I do right now. And uh, the second way that we do things is really fun is talking about your favorites. So there's a reason we all have favorites, right? And it's the same sort of idea that goes along with remembering song lyrics is that favorites connect the head and the heart. And so what is your, give me one of your top three favorite movies of all time, Tom. Uh, Apollo 13. Ooh, okay. That's a good one. So can you tell me um, in 30 seconds or less, give me a, give me the summary. What is that? What is that movie about? Like what's the, what's the cliff note version of that movie? 
to me, the, the whole movie is about when they walk into the control room and they pour everything onto the table and said, this is all that they have. We have to yeah. find a way to make the air filter out of this. Yes. With the stuff they have up there, you can't use anything else. And by the way, you've got a couple hours to do it or your coworkers die. That's what the movie's about. <laughs> yes. So when we dig into that, what I'd look at is the words you choose um, to describe things. And so in thematically, what resonates with you? So I, I saw themes of determination, of perseverance, of timeliness. Of, so Scrappy's probably not one of the words on your list, but that's the word I, I, I like. We, we call that resourceful. <laughs> my, my, but, dad, uh, my dad always said, go be scrappy. Yes. Yes. And so those are breadcrumbs that lead us back to the things that, that really matter to you. It's why it's your favorite. It's, you know, f for me, uh, happy Gilmore is, is one of my favorite movies of all time. And, and it's not because Adam Sandler and I went to the same high school, which, which we did. He's a couple years older than me. Nice. Um, but it's because all of my black sheep values are presented and represented in that movie. And so why wouldn't it be my favorite? Of course it fed all my sheep. I walked out of there like at a buffet, you know, it was fantastic. And so those are the things that you start to look at. You start to find the, this proof that what you say is the most important thing in your life actually is. That, that that's awesome. So people can go and take this quiz now, even though the book hasn't come out, the quiz is live. It is. So that is yep. findyourblacksheep.com. I'm going to go take this as soon as I have one other interview when we finish, and then I'm going to go take the black sheep quiz. Uh, it's fun. Brad, I have to tell you that uh, normally when we talk about counting sheep, it puts people to sleep. But uh, yes. you're sort of waking me and the audience up here with this idea around around counting sheep. So as, as we sort of wrap this up, what yeah. advice do you have for business leaders who need to do more, whether it's in this COVID world or the post-COVID world? What advice do you have? So here, here's this for your visual audience. It is time to wake up. Is that a chapter it in the is, book? He just held up it, a book. You literally, it's not a chapter, but it's a quote in the book. It's time to wake up. It is. Here's the deal. If you want to reach the highest levels of potential that your organization has, you have to stop winging it. You have to. Most people won't agree that they're winging it, but if they can't tell me what their five personal core values are, the things that matter most to them, why they matter most, give me a couple examples from their childhood as to how these things formed. People can't do it because they've never taken the time, which means they're winging it and, and that's fine. It's gotten you where you are, but it will never be sustainable high performance ever until you start to live with deliberate intention. And that's what this is all about. So if they really want to reach that next level, the competitive advantage is figuring this out. So Brant, before I let you go, I've got one more question. When you look out at the world of business, mm -hmm. what business leaders out there do you say, wow, she or he, they're the ones making waves. Essentially, who do you admire? Well, uh, Kat Cole uh, is someone that I think is, I mean, unbelievable. I, I met does. her when she first started speaking. I, that's the advantage to serving as a master of ceremonies is I get to meet a lot of speakers because I stay around the whole time. I've known Kat for a couple of years and have, have been blessed to, to work with her team at Focus Brands. And, uh, you know, there's a reason that the Undercover Boss episode with Kat Cole is the number one episode they've ever done. And that's because she is a powerhouse on every level. She's amazing. Um Kyle Smith 
is the CEO of Nothing Bunt Cakes. If you've ever been into a Nothing Bunt Cakes or ate one of their delicious buntlets or buntinis. Or I, I, I like, have, and they're delicious. Oh, man. Or just bury your face in one of the giant bunt cakes they sell, which I have done on occasion. Red Velvet, man, that's my favorite. And, uh, you know, Kyle has built a culture within Nothing Bunt Cakes that has allowed the franchise model to shine because they know exactly who they're looking for and they know exactly what type of person is going to succeed within their culture. And so they do a lot of work before they even hire, uh, you know, award a franchise to someone. A lot of the franchisees come from within the organization itself. And so they sort of learn and understand sort of in that Chick-fil-A model in a lot of ways where it's people who work their way up that get rewarded with a franchise. And it's it's very similar to that within the Nothing Bunt Cakes world. But I've been blown away by his leadership there and their ability to weather, you know, the storm through through good and bad. And everybody loves Bunt Cakes. So, yes. <laughs> who doesn't love a good Bunt Cake? Right. So, Brand, if somebody's listening to this and they want to get your book or they need to have you work with their company or they're looking for a great speaker, how, how do people find you? So the easiest way is just to go to brantmenswar.com, B-R-A-N-T-M-E-N-S-W-A-R. Um, you can go to findyourblacksheep.com. The book is available everywhere you can get books. So Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon, where, wherever you choose, Chapters, Indigo in, in Canada, um, wherever you'd like to buy your book, uh, that's that's where you can get it. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining here. Uh, joining us here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Uh, you are not only making waves, but you're helping other people learn how to splash. So, ah, uh, so thank well, you, I've... thank you for that, and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? It's all about you. So, if you like the show, I have a big favor to ask. Yeah. What every podcaster asks for is go leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Those reviews do matter. It helps new people find the show. But more importantly, go tell a friend. Everybody I talk to listens to the show and I say, how did you find the show? They say, my friend told me or my mom told me or my boss says this is the show I should listen to on my drive to work. So go tell somebody. In fact, you can go onto social media right now and tell somebody. Hang on, I'll wait. Okay, thank you for doing that. That's awesome. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Brant. And you're thinking, what? How is that possible? Baseball star, rock star, professional speaker, top sales guy, dad, family man, grew up in New Hampshire. How do you get cooler than that? Well, tune in in a couple days and we'll show you. Uh, in the meantime, go out there, make sure that ladder, that career ladder is against the right wall. Don't get to the top having climbed the wrong ladder. Uh, have some fun while you're doing it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.